I've never seen a tan line from Christian, so I really don't know his process. But I know he always goes out with his family. They're very loving people, so maybe he just strips down and just lays there while shooting me emails. I don't Today we are talking about two different things. One, my take on watch collecting because it changed and I, I probably will make this video a million more times but it actually changed. I, ex well, I'll get into that. But I have a foolproof method that I think you should follow as well if you are serious about collecting watches. And no joking. And also, today we're talking about Rolex. Obviously we talk about Rolex all the time but today I wanna to talk about the fact that Rolex is kind of they're not dead, obviously. They make millions of watches per year, and you can get one eventually, but they're they're kind of the de facto tool watch, but not really anymore. So I think there's a gap in the market in terms of, like, a name to the face of, like, who makes the tool watch that I, I aspire to get. And it's still Rolex, obviously, but it's more of just, like, ah, good luck getting one, which really wears on everybody. And the death of Rolex's everydayness, like that part of Rolex, I feel like just leaves a massive hole in the industry where people don't, it's like, what do I get? What do I get? I want a Rolex, but I can't get one. And I won't get one for years. And I want one now. What do I get? So that's what we'll talk about today because it's an interesting spot that the watch world is in that is, I think, the main reason as to why when you title something like Rolex market crash or whatever, people freak out because everybody wants a Rolex. I want a Rolex. I want a Daytona. I just, I know hot take from me, but I really want one. I can't get one. So we'll talk about that. All right. But this podcast is sponsored by absolutely no one. Hopefully we get sponsors and stuff soon so we can keep doing this podcast. I think we will. At the very least, we'll start running ads, which would be fun. But anyways, sponsored by no one. If you want to suggest a podcast topic, which is a long form podcast topic that Christian and I will talk about, you can email me at michael at theoandharris.com and we can chat. And say, or I probably won't respond, no offense, but I just get a ton of emails a day. But I will definitely consider everything that you say to me and shoot me with corrections or whatever. It's really weird. We post YouTube videos, obviously. It's weird posting a podcast and not seeing a bunch of hate mail by like 7.15 a.m. because we post at 7. It's very weird. I feel like there's a lot of anger probably listening to us and you're just like, how do I, how do I contact them? That, how do I tell Michael that he's stupid at 7 a.m.? Email me. It'll be fine. But whatever. It doesn't matter. It is, it's very weird just not getting that, that hate, though. Today, again, just me. Let's talk about watch collecting first. So I have recently fully accepted the fact that I'm going to have a watch collection, and I'm going to actively work on it, which may sound like a very dumb thing, but I am very, very, very financially conscious, or you may say paranoid as well, which is definitely more accurate than conscious, because... I, I work very hard. I don't, I'm not trying to brag. I actually, I work way too much, but I want to make sure the amount of, I, the amount I work is not in vain. And the nice part about watches is that they obviously hold their value. So it's, or they hold their value better than a lot of things. So it's not technically in vain, but for a while I was very, very gun shy about collecting watches, spending money on anything other than necessities and making sure that I had money to invest, to spend on building business, and to improve my life in, in minor ways. And I used to live in a very cheap apartment, eat very, very, very cheaply. I still, I live in a kind of cheap apartment now. I still eat like trash to save money. Not in terms of, I don't, I don't know. I try to eat healthy, but I don't make anything fancy. I just make cheap things. I spend very little money. But recently, 
I remembered a conversation that I had with a friend when we were like 16, and my friend worked for like a year, I forget when the legal age you can work is, but he worked incredibly hard and was doing the same thing, not investing his money at that age, but just putting it all in the bank and being like, I just want to have this money. I, I don't come from a very rich area, so a lot of my friends and I are on the same page. And his mom came to him one day, because he was working himself to the bone, and she was like, listen, Colin, that's his name, she was like, you have to spend some money on yourself, or it's life will be very awful. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it could be awful in many other ways. You could not have the luxury of being able to buy, he bought a cell phone in this case. You could have the option of not being able to buy that and being like, I need to spend money on food. But, you know, if you're working, it's, it's, it is nice every once in a while to be like, yes, I want to get a watch. And not that I can be buying $9,000, $10,000 watches all the time, but I can, I just bought a Zenith El Primero Shadow. I got it for a great price. I got it for $5,500, which is insane. But I can do that every once in a while, and it won't be that big of a deal. And I can still invest very, very heavily and still save money very, very well. So... Anyways, long story short, I've decided I am going to build a watch collection. And I don't want to do a video on it for a while because I want to, not that I'll ever do a John Goldberg and have this amazing multi-million dollar watch collection, but I want to come out the gate and be like, look at these cool watches I got and just show a bunch of obscure watches because that's my thing. I can't, I, I realize what I like to collect and that is not the purpose of this video. Purpose is the methodology. But I realized I like to collect one, just non-typical watches, which is interesting when we get to Rolex because there are some Rolexes I want. But I like to vintage watches from the 20s and stuff like that mixed in with like this Zenith, for example, is very atypical. Most people that I told I was getting it, oh, listen to how smooth it is, by the way. And then this is starting it. It's amazing. It's one of the, it's the El Premier movement. It's one of the best movements ever. But I even this watch, most people were like, why, why would you buy that watch before I bought it? And now I'm Mr. Big D walking around. Christian saw this watch and was like, oh my God, and was going to go buy one for way more than I paid for it. A few of my friends were all showing it to each other. They want to buy it. They think it's beautiful. That's what I like. I guess it's a popularity contest and that sort, but I just... I'm more saying I feel like there's a very like, okay, I want to watch. I'll look at Omega and then I'll look at Rolex and then I'll look at vintage Omega and I'll look at vintage Rolex. Like it's a very condensed market and I like finding just beautiful watches from really cool brands because all these, these Zeniths, the Orises, the Longines, obviously those are all, sorry, I got an email from Binance.USA. Remember when I invested a ton of money in Celsius, put a lot of crypto in there and then they locked me out of that? It's a horrible feeling. Still not back yet. A lot of these brands have just such cool history and there's so much behind them and I really love that. So I think that's that's part of what I want to do. I also, there's a bunch of certain vintage watches that I want to collect that I sadly cannot disclose on here because Chris and I did a live recently and I showed one of the watches that I was going to buy at the end of that live and someone bought it before the live ended. So I can't tell any of you leeches What's on my list? Because you'll run the price up and ruin it for me. I will eventually, but I just gotta make sure I can get one for myself first. So this, this is kind of the split, right? And I said watch brands that are making watches today and then vintage old watches. And I'm trying to break it up evenly and it is tough because there are watch shortages basically with every brand now. Zenith, 
they kind of manufacture theirs a little bit, but they the CEO even said, I don't want to overproduce our watches. I want them to be very special to the customers, and then they'll never be available again, which means in five years they'll bring them back. But still, the Zenith Shadow Revival, it's basically impossible to get. Tough to get. The nice part is it does go under retail if you're going to the secondhand market, but getting one from Zenith, nearly impossible. The Safari, the same thing. But for the most part, I have this concoction of what I'm going to do. I I just have money aside for the watch collection, and anytime Christian and I do a big project, I put some aside, whatever. I have two main, well, three main categories. The first one is the most boring. It is just modern day watches that I want. For example, this Zenith Shadow Revival. Christian and I do a lot of work with the PGA Tour. I was like, oh, it's cool, it's sleek, it's uh, 50 or five, yeah, 50 meters water resistance, so if it's raining on the course, that's fine. I think it can handle, well, now that I got it, I don't really want to wear it on the course because I don't want to break it, but I probably won't. But I was like, this will be a perfect watch for PGA Tour. Nothing really special tied into it or anything like that. That is the first category. Just a modern watch that I want. Nothing special is tied in. Second category is achievement watches. For example, the Omega Speedmaster. I really want an Omega Speedmaster Moonwatch Professional. I... Don't know if I care about Sapphire Hesalite. I'll probably get Hesalite just because it's a little cheaper. But I want that to be an achievement watch where maybe I pass a certain financial goal, something happens with one of the businesses, or I get married, or I, you know, whatever. I then want to buy a watch to mark that occasion. And that is watches that are a little hard to get or maybe a, a bit more notorious the Speedmaster, something from Rolex, or the, you know something something like that. A paddock, if I want, if I so choose, or something like that. Those are that's my achievement level. And then there is the vintage level, and that is just a beautiful vintage watch that I find. And everything now is tiered, right? So the achievement watch I'll obviously get when I achieve said thing. Modern watch I will buy. I'm not too much in a rush for, but vintage watches. That is the immediate buy, because I keep finding these gorgeous vintage watches that get snapped up right away, and that is what I'm changing, where it is now tiered, so I will buy any vintage watch, well, not any one, but, you know, a really nice one, okay, I gotta get that. There is one watch specifically that I am looking at right now, and I will probably buy tonight, because I can only find one of them. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm not gonna save up for a Speedmaster, or put money aside for a Speedmaster right now, or for a different modern watch when the probability of losing the watch that I really, really want and is very hard to get and is not one of one, but it's very, very rare on the market, I need to get that one first. And I could sell it later if I don't like it, but it, I need to make sure that I get it. This is, it feels very childish. I feel like I'm hawking toys on a playground, but that is what changed. So I'll keep you updated. And one day I will do a full collection review and hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's not a weird collection. Nothing people say you should have your watch is like, oh, well, I collect vintage divers from the 60s and the 70s. No way, Jose. I just, whatever looks pretty, awesome. I get married, dope. I bought the Speedmaster. I didn't even wear it on my wedding day. I just wanted something to remember the wedding. And it does work because I bought a Rolex Explorer recently. I sold it. A lot of people were asking about that. I did sell it. It was broken. I got it fixed. I got it fully serviced. I sold it to a very, very, very good friend of mine who I'm going to his wedding next year. So it wasn't a wedding gift. Obviously, he paid for it. But I gave him a deal you wouldn't find anywhere else. I lost money on the watch, which is fine because it was a gift. But still, I did sell it. But it does work because I drove 
to Canada to grab my Iron Snail jacket, the clothing line that I'm starting, with that watch. And I went swimming, and I met all these people while wearing that watch, and it does sting a little bit to give that watch away. And I told my friend Ronnie that if he ever wants to sell it, please reach out to me first. So that's I'll, then I'll buy it back at that time. But either way, you know, it could be his special thing. Who knows? And the great part is I gave it to him for such a steal, he'll probably make money when he sells it back to me. Speaking of Rolex, what happens to Rolex now that they're unattainable? Who fills their spot? That is the main subject here. I don't know if it will take as long to go through as the collection part, but we'll see. So everybody's familiar with Rolex, obviously. Any people under rocks are trying to save up to get a Daytona or something like that. But what happens now when I kind of fully, I look at Rolex as like a fake thing. It's not something I can get. I have been on the waiting list for 36mm Palm Dial Datejust Smooth Steel Bezel for four months, six months, and I don't think I'll get one for much longer. I talked to a guy that let us film his watch recently, and he was like, oh yeah, my dad was on the list for two years, and he didn't get the call, so he's still on the list, or something like that. Something ridiculous, and it's just... I had a friend that has a few connections at some ADs go in and he was going to buy it under his name for me. And it's just no idea. No idea. They pay him no mind. He's good friends with them. And he's like, hey, any status on the palm dial? And they're like, nah. And, you know, where I took that breath where you'd expect them to say something else, they don't because they don't care. Because even though they're friends with this guy, there's thousands of people on the list that will buy the watch immediately. And even if this AD, which they hopefully never do, is like, you know what? You can have the watch if you pay me 15 grand. They'll get the watch. Like, they'll sell the watch that day. So getting a Rolex is borderline impossible, or you have to wait for so long that it's it's kind of hard to mark. So, and, and besides that, Rolex is not the Rolex of old, obviously. Now, a Daytona, like the cheapest Daytona you can get, I think is like fourteen, fifteen thousand $15,000, which is, that's an expensive watch. It's a beautiful watch. And the tough part is nothing really tops these models. Rolex makes the ultimate sports watches in terms of aesthetics and uses and everything like that. So what do you do when you can't get one? We, I mean, Christian has worked and I've met and worked with him too billionaires that can't get some watches they'll they'll buy out the whole store and they get like a daytona as a gift after they bought out the whole store and it's like what is this world and what happens so let's talk about that where there has to be some type of fill-in eventually with the market maybe rolex just has such complete domination that no one can ever get in their way or step up and all these brands are trying to step up and they have all these beautiful watches but they don't have i'll keep the daytona as the example, they don't have a steel Daytona on an Oyster Flex bracelet. They just don't have that. They have no comparison. They have nothing close to it. And even if they do, it looks like a ripoff. So they're in a tough spot. And what do you do when people want that watch and no one makes anything close to that? And obviously, the first answer is you turn to Tudor and you say, what do you have for me? And they say, we have uh, the Tudor Black Bay Chronograph, which is a fantastic watch. And it's a beautiful watch, but it's not... A Rolex Daytona. That's <laughs> a stupid thing to say. It doesn't look as good, at least in my opinion. It even has some better qualities than a Daytona, I will say. And they're moving to in-house, and they're working super hard. But obviously, being a sister brand to Rolex, they're the less refined version. So the case looks a little, like, too thick, in my opinion. It's not size as good. It doesn't come with Oyster Flex, or that's not an option. It's a beautiful chronograph, but it's not the Daytona. Same thing 
Their alternative, well, actually, this I will give Tudor credit for. Their Black Bay 36 versus the Rolex Explorer. Black Bay 36 may beat it, but still, Tudor's case design doesn't have the magical curves of Rolex. So, what really happens here is I think there's a huge gap in the watch industry that hasn't been filled and can't be filled. Or, I don't want to say can't, but when you look at a chronograph, for example, and you have the Daytona, and you think of legendary chronographs that go alongside of it. You have the you have the tagline of Hoyer's, really. You have the, the Carrera, you have the Ottavia, you have Omega with their Speedmaster, and all 60 iterations of their Speedmaster, all the different versions. You have Breitling with their Top Times, you have the Zenith, the Zenith line, the Chronomaster original is gorgeous, but they all have a sense of... They aren't this ultimate tool watch. They are chronographed. Like my Zenith El Primero that I'm wearing right now is a tool, is a sports watch, and it's cool, and it has water resistance, but it doesn't feel as well... I don't want to say as well-built, because it does feel very well-built. It doesn't feel like it has the roughness that Rolex has. It doesn't have the screw-down crowns. It doesn't have that perfectly proportioned case size. It doesn't. Well, it comes with a rubber strap, but the rubber strap even looks daintier than an Oyster Flex. And mind you that this watch is on for retail $9,000 at Daytona is $15,000, $14,000 at the base model. So that's to be expected, but that general feeling doesn't transition over. So I wonder what watch brand is going to do it. What watch brand is going to make that modern day crazy flip and become what Rolex used to be? And I think depressingly, the answer is virtually none of them which is a shame. And the reason behind that is because the world changed in many, many different ways. But we'll we'll go over that now. So I think the reason I think this and why there'll always be this weird hole in the watch market is because Rolex, and I've said this before, but we'll go more in depth. Rolex captured a period of time where humanity was making crazy just achievements all the time where they were like, Okay, first woman to swim across the English Channel, we got a watch on her. You know, the first person to climb Mount Everest, we got a watch on them. Person to break the land speed record, I think they got an Air King or something like that. Then we had the Daytona, which was beautiful, and we used to have all these wacky designs. And they basically made a time capsule of these momentous historical achievements and stuffed them inside of their watches and then beautifully marketed it since then. So it transcends time where everybody thinks... Rolex has and always will be, period. And no other brands can do that and go back to that time period. So they have to find some other brilliant source of marketing. And obviously Omega captured that only on the moon. And they try to capture things all the time. They're like, look, we went even deeper than the Rolex. We went to all these places of the world. We went colder, hotter, this or that, more than Rolex. And everybody's like... I don't care. It's too, you made that watch in 2008. Anything can happen in 2008. Rolex did it in 1922. Then they collaborate, Omega, for example, with the Olympics, and they have a long history with the Olympics, or with James Bond, which changes the brand's perceived value as like, oh, cool, that's a watch a fake character wore. Or, oh, cool, that's a watch that is that times the Olympics? That's cool. But it doesn't have that that thing that it needs. And I don't know what that would be, what they would need to achieve. Now, first person on Mars, even now with digital technology, it's like, why'd they wear a watch? I guess it doesn't really matter. So the history kind of component, 
I don't think is there. So you need a different, brilliant form of marketing. Not that I know one, but I do think Rolex is on the good path of essentially abstracting any, there's no like brand spokesperson on the website. Like I don't open Rolex.com and see a Leonardo DiCaprio like touching his face, holding a watch. And I think that method of marketing is is very far gone. I don't think it works anymore. So the question is how and then who? And the tough part is the world has changed. That This is the, the main part here is that we're not looking for the same things we were looking for back then that Rolex built their name off of. And the watch world is vast and huge and growing every day, and that's fantastic. And it still has managed to hold on to, I want to get a, oh no, someone is leaf blowing. Hold on. Well, I, okay, the solution will be we'll make it a, a feature, not a bug. So you get to listen to the beautiful sounds of a New Jersey suburb as I talk about very expensive watches. Anyways, as I was saying, so what happens is there's still that market that's like, oh, it's usually men outside of women who typically go for jewelry. Not everybody, but just looking at the actual market who say, I am of this age or I'm going to get into fine timepieces. I really like that. I want to collect watches. There are still some people like that. And there were always cheaper watches. And the Swiss industry was actually, for a very long time, producing the cheapest movements you could ever imagine that broke all the time. And that that's how life always is. But there was a time period where people wanted quality watches. And the quality watches were not as unattainably expensive as they are today. And since then... I think everything has shifted much stronger to the consumer wants something that looks good and they are not totally concerned with how it functions. I have called out somebody, not in an aggressive way, just being like, hey, your watch is broken. And they're like, oh yeah, I know. It's I just like it on my wrist. And obviously with the advent of cell phones, that is now a very real thing. Where it comes to watches don't need to be this incredible tool anymore. They need to they need to look good, which is this is really it. I mean, you look at the Daytona again, it it can do all this amazing timing, but it's hard to like when you look at the dial, you're like, okay, so that was uh, four four minutes and like six, seven seconds. I can't tell, it's still a wristwatch, it's pretty small. When your phone can do it and you can read the numbers, which I was actually thinking about that watching a Rolex Daytona ad yesterday. I was like, okay, so for the the very, very precise timekeeping, do you stop your watch and then keep it stopped and then go somewhere where you can like actually look close at the indices for that eighth of a second, that tenth of a second and be like, okay, under the microscope with this magnifying glass, like, okay, yeah, my time was four minutes and 0.03 seconds. Like, otherwise, I don't know how you do it. I can hardly, I try to time pasta on my Zenith, and I can't, I'm like drawing my finger across the watch, being like, one, two, three, four. Like, I can't tell what time it is. I can't tell how many minutes my pasta has been going to be al dente. So anyways, regardless, regardless of that, it's a different time. And it's a cool tool watch is a cool tool watch, but it's not a necessity. So the market changed to being like, well, can it? It should look cool. And to be honest, unless I'm a watch nerd, I don't care what's inside of it as long as it's it has some movement to it. As long as the dial is moving or as long as the hands are moving, then it's cool. In knowing that, we have come to a point where watch brands are kind of capped in size because they can't really, you know, everything could be chronometer now. ETA sells chronometer movements. So watch brands are capped in size. Their competitiveness has to be really virtually through design because most of them at a certain price point are all incredibly reliable and warranted and the presentation is beautiful. 
so they they can't grow. Oris, for example, is they make beautiful watches, but a lot of people will see a, a cheaper watch in a store and be like, oh, I'll just get that. And very few people will get an Oris comparatively to the entire market. So they can't really punch out of that and be like, well, we want to do this now, we want to do that now. They have to stick in their bounds. And that's the tough part. Advertising a luxury watch brand in 2022 is not an easy thing to do unless you have some romanticized history, which Rolex basically gobbled up in its entirety. So we're left with that. And we're left with Tag, for example, is a great is a great example. LVMH owned a... They have Ryan Gosling on the front cover. Their website looks like... And we talked about this before. Their website looks like a Marvel website, and they have no need to grow more into the watch nerd community, so they'll make a reissue every now and again. People love it, but they don't have to push it very hard. So we're left, and this is kind of the end of the podcast because there's, there's, there's no solution that I can think of. We're left with a world where the most beautiful, functional, historically relevant watches in the world, or in sports watches in the world, are no longer obtainable to the general masses and even to most of the watch nerds unless you were paying two, three times the price which kills the romanticism of it entirely for I, for a lot of people, for me at least. Maybe if I have a ton more money it feels worth it but right now it just feels like a giant ripoff paying over retail. It, it dilutes the story so much where it is no longer romantic. The watches have this kind of like weird, dirty secret to them. I feel like if I paid 40000 50, I'm just making up numbers, 50000 for a Daytona that retails for 14000 I'd feel like a piece of garbage. I see a Daytona and I'm like, wow. If that was, well, $14,000 is even expensive. But if that was a cheaper watch with that K-shape and the Oyster bracelet, like that would be an amazing watch to take around with you everywhere you go and to really beat your story into it. And that's why we see all these vintage Rolexes from grandfathers and everybody. I don't think that era is upon us anymore. Unless you're just loaded and grandpa worked in banking and, you know, bought a Daytona. But it's like, it's sad. It's not, it's no longer my grandfather bought a Rolex overseas while fighting in the war and it's beautiful. Now it's, you know, my grandfather was on a waiting list for two years and then couldn't get a watch. So we spent five times the market price and got this and then didn't want to scratch it and then kept it in his house and then gave it to me. It's like, cool. That's fun. So either way, I don't know the solution. There's plenty of other beautiful watches out there. It just so happens that the best of the best, and at least in my opinion, some of the most beautiful watches are for the internet photos only and for wrist shots only. And that's a damn shame. So feel free to email me what you think we can do with these giant gaps in the market, in the Rolex market, and how you can fix that. And I know it's kind of a just being pedantic, but it's still really fun to talk about. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. It'll probably make it into a YouTube video or a live because... A lot of people like to talk about Rolex, me included. It's 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 one of those things where it's angering when you're like a big nerd. You're like, wow, I'd love to get one of those. But who knows? Anyways, I'll update you when I get uh, my date just, and I may never, so who knows. But I'll talk to you soon. Christian will be back in the next podcast, so if you're sick of my voice, don't worry. He's coming.